Welcome to another edition of KUAR's Week in Review podcast, where we take a look at the news from the week that was. Coming up... What does President Trump's budget portend for Arkansas? We'll take a look and have reaction from some of Arkansas's congressional delegation. The state's budget is taking a hit, and lawmakers begin laying the groundwork for tax policy in 2019's legislative session. An FBI investigation into kickbacks in the state legislature may be expanding, with more indictments expected. As one school year draws to a close, campuses are looking for ways around the state's new concealed carry gun laws. That's all coming up. I'm Jacob Kaufman. I'm Michael Hiplin. And I'm Daniel Breen. So, Michael, uh, President Trump has been in the news for a lot of reasons this week, like he is uh, most weeks. He's, of course, been traveling abroad, meeting uh, leaders of three of the world's major religions. And on this week, though, while he was gone, his $4 trillion budget was announced. Um, He really swung for the fences or perhaps the wall in some ways, a lot of money for immigration and border enforcement, some big cuts to uh, some social uh, welfare programs. Uh, Michael, you spoke with Heather Yates, a political scientist at the University of Central Arkansas, Generally speaking, how does she put this budget in in Arkansas's political context? Well, she basically said this uh, is coming across as a wish list, really, from President Trump, says that it not necessarily is very realistic about what might actually happen, but that this is uh, the president pretty much delivering on campaign promises. Uh, And we'll talk a little bit more about the reaction from members of Arkansas's yeah. congressional delegation in a moment. But first, I'll play this cut from her because she said this really would negatively impact Arkansas because this is one of the poorest states in the nation and dependent upon the uh, federal safety net, so to speak, uh, that a lot of programs provide. We have um, you know, about 2.8 million residents. Of those residents, about 550,000 um, live in poverty. And furthermore, I think it's important to mention that t- about 27% of those residents living in poverty are children. So parts of the budget that affect Arkansas is really coming down to the support for families and children. It's kind of a mixed bag because the proposed budget is looking to cut $610 billion from Medicaid. Some other lines affects Arkansas residents is the $190 billion cut to the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, also known as SNAP, which has formally been labeled um, as the food stamp program, but it's the domestic hunger safety net for low-income families. Um, Something else, too, that I'm seeing in this budget is a couple of pieces of language being used a lot. Uh, Trump's administration is framing this budget as, as a lot of reform, which translates into Um, a lot of limitations and constrictions on these social aid programs that Arkansas families use, especially children. To put it mildly, uh, this wasn't well received on Capitol Hill. Even members of the president's own party said this was pretty much dead on arrival. Senator John Bozeman, Arkansas's senior senator, said that this is only the beginning of the process and reminded people that Congress has the power of the purse. Uh, Friend Shell, the representative for Arkansas's 2nd District, 
also reminded in his statement that uh, Congress decides federal spending priorities. But what we really see a, a sharp uh, response uh, from Representative Steve Womack, who said that uh, Trump banking on a sustained growth rate of 3% in the economy was a dangerous assumption. Uh, he said there was uh, the need to reform uh, the uh, food stamps program, the uh, what's now called Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, and Medicaid, but said the whole premise of how this budget was set up really uh, is not good for the country. And Representative Rick Crawford, uh, he praised efforts to address the national debt, but said he was real concerned about cuts to the U.S. Department of Agriculture. I think it was overall about a 21% cut. It would eliminate a lot of programs that uh, Arkansas growers, who many are uh, struggling, uh, are dependent on, and said this really uh, isn't uh, what this needs. It would eliminate many programs that are vital to the state. So uh, while some of the conservative principles that were espoused in this uh, budget uh, did get support, uh, really uh, it doesn't sound like uh, this is going anywhere, uh, at least as far as our congressional delegation is going, and in all Republican delegation, it's worth noting. Yeah, let's go into uh, a little bit more from one of the responses. I watched a committee hearing with Senator John Bozeman. It's, he is now the chair of the Appropriations Subcommittee for Homeland Security, so he has a lot to do with the immigration aspect of Trump's budget, which is one of the more popular parts, I guess, among the state's congressional delegation. Here's his thoughts on an increase of about $2.7 billion from immigrations and customs enforcement, which includes like 1,600 new ICE agents. This budget request gets many things right. We've seen over the past few months that border security and immigration enforcement are closely related. As the new administration is demonstrating, there are consequences for those entering and staying in the country illegally. But, Michael, as you alluded to, uh, the congressional delegation has plenty they don't like about it as well. Many of the choices reflected in this budget put this subcommittee in a difficult position. For instance, it assumes statutory changes to programs that Congress would almost certainly be unable to enact before the fiscal year. From the proposed increase to airline passenger fees, to the significant reductions to assistance for state and local partners, to the failure to invest adequately in research and development, this budget fails to take into consideration many practical realities. Good to keep in mind that, of course, all the Republican congressional delegation supports Donald Trump for president. Uh, they still have his support generally, even though if they do have some problems with this, with this budget, apparently. But Arkansas Democrats thought that uh, the Republicans' um, trepidation about the budget was pretty mild in the end. They're still a supporter of the president and many of his, of his objectives. Here's a release from the Democratic Party of Arkansas, which, of course, has zero elected statewide officials at the state or federal uh, level. They said it's slashing major domestic programs like Medicaid, highway funding, student loan subsidies, and safety nets for American farmers. Michael John Gray, uh, the chairman of the party and a state legislator, echoed, echoed Steve Womack's comments that Michael mentioned. Our farmers rely on crop insurance program. It's our number one industry. Uh, the budget really shows Republicans' priorities are with big corporations and not, and not the people. They didn't mention any of the immigration uh, things in their statement. That's obviously one of the more popular parts of the program. And, too, worth noting that the uh, uh, members of Congress realize that they're going to be uh, coming up for uh, re-election next year. You have that now in the back of their mind, and uh, if there are sharp cuts, uh, that could have an impact. 
uh, next year. So I think there are also political considerations that are being uh, coming into play by uh, our members of Congress. And it's the same week the Congressional Budget Office released their uh, estimate for how much the already House-approved health care repeal and replace bill would cost, how many people would lose insurance. It looks like it's not going anywhere, but it said about 23 million people would lose insurance. We interviewed French Hill, Central Arkansas's congressman, a couple weeks ago. He said he was pretty confident that just about nobody would lose insurance in Arkansas. So that differs, differs from this report. And um, sometime next week, we should have an interview with the first Democrat announcing that he's challenging French Hill. So we look forward to that next week. So that's the budget on the national level. At the state level, uh, the budget's looking for some constraints in the next fiscal year with some money being cut across the board in every state agency as the state of Arkansas takes in less revenue, even though we have record low unemployment numbers. Uh, Michael, there's a tax reform or a task force on taxes formed last session as part of a income tax cut. Uh, can you set up at all what is what this task force, why this was created, what, what's it, what its mission is supposed to be? We have been dealing with the issues of revenue coming in uh, below forecast and also just part of uh, the governor's overall uh, mission to uh, try and uh, cut costs. Uh, but you might be able to talk even more than I know. <laughs> okay, I'll go for it. Okay, so there's a task reform, or a task reform, I keep saying this, there was a task force on tax reform set up at the last legislative session. As part of a compromise, there was a $50 million income tax cut passed for low-income Arkansans. There are a whole bunch of Republicans who wanted to pass a $200 million tax cut for higher-income earners. And so part of the compromise is they would form this task force to try to figure out recommendations for 2019. Uh, so this week, they met for the first time. There were some uh, people appointed to the task force last week. Let's just get into the into the meat of it. Here's State Senator Jim Hendren. He's the Senate Majority Leader and the governor's nephew from Gravit, Arkansas. He was appointed chair of this task force, and he said that he knows that a lot of the goals of Republicans in this task force are to have a $100 million income tax cut for high-income earners, but he's pretty cautious about how to get there, which is a difference from previous legislative sessions where everyone went into it saying we're going to get a big tax cut. That's going to be a very expensive tax cut because you're talking about $100 million to move at just a, a, a point or two. So before we make those kind of mag decisions of those magnitude, we ought to spend some time studying it and seeing what's the best path forward because it's, it's very, very expensive decisions. In the last legislative session, we saw a number of attempts from the governor and his allies to get rid of some exemptions for certain industries to help fund tax cuts. That seems kind of like to be the goal going into this, that they want to get this massive tax cut passed, but to do it, they want to pay for it this time instead of having to, to shrink the government. But Representative, or Senator Hendren thinks that's going to be kind of hard to do. Because of the number of dollars that are involved in this process, there's going to be a lot of uh, political pressure. And that's the way the process works. I mean, obviously, farmers are going to try to protect exemptions for farmers. I, I expect that, and I would be disappointed if they didn't. Businesses are going to try to exempt, uh, protect exemptions for manufacturer parts and different things. So that's the role that they play. But the role that we play is to gather the facts and make a decision based on what's best for Arkansas as a whole. So this task force is for the 2019 legislative session. Good for them as they don't have to have final recommendations until after the 2018 elections, which you just mentioned is a consideration for congressional leaders as well. They have a preliminary report due in, in December, though. Have there been other groups like this before? Larry Teague is the joint budget chair. He's a Democrat from Nashville in southwest Arkansas. He was on a committee that Mike Huckabee established in the late 90s, and he said it didn't really end up doing anything despite all of their studying. Uh, good morning. 
I'm Larry Teague. I'm from down Nashville. And uh, I served on the Blue Ribbon Commission uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, I recall that I learned a lot. Uh, I don't recall that we that a lot came out of that, but I'm optimistic that we will uh, accomplish something. I appreciate it. So we'll find out, of course, if this ends up being better than that Blue Ribbon Task Force and if anything does get generated off of it. It seems like something might happen every session. This key uh, hallmark legislation passed by the Republicans is a tax cut. So you'd think that this is pretty high on their agenda, maybe compared to the Huckabee years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, we had this uh, uh, corruption investigation uh, moving forward this week. It was actually just a brief hearing where a judge decided to push back uh, a trial for three people. This goes back to the uh, this allegation, uh, this investigation alleging kickbacks in state government related to state money going to uh, Ecla, Ecclesia <laughs> College. I always have trouble uh, pronouncing that. Uh, you've got a former senator, uh, John Woods, who uh, is facing uh, charges for allegedly helping to direct state money to this private college. Uh, the college's president, Warren Paris III, and a consultant, Randall Shelton. They uh, are all to uh, be put on trial, but the judge this week delayed that to December. You might remember that uh, earlier in the year, former Representative Micah Neal pleaded guilty to four counts of fraud. He's probably working with investigators. And uh, one thing the prosecutor said during this brief hearing is that the investigation is continuing and key more indictments are expected. So that's probably raised a lot of red flags for a lot of people who might have potentially been involved in this. And the prospect now that uh, you could have more people, maybe even more state lawmakers, ensnared in this uh, investigation uh, certainly got a lot of attention. Uh, we don't know uh, much more than that. It was just a, a brief hearing. But obviously, the prosecutor saying more indictments are expected. Uh, it was uh, big news, got a lot of attention. And uh, Mike Neal, when he was first identified by the FBI as involved in this case, said that in his defense that uh, when he entered the legislature, he said there's a culture of this where it's understood that you, you spend your general improvement money for local projects and you might get something in return. House Speaker Jeremy Gillum has said, oh, that's absolutely not true. There's not a culture of this. We'll see if, how many more indictments really do come down the line. Senator John Woods, kind of interesting that he's involved in this ethics flare-up. He was one of the main architects of the existing ethics law that state legislators operate under in terms of lobbyists and campaign donations and things like that. And he also passed a bill that made Springdale the chicken capital of the world. So <laughs> nobody has to recognize it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, so that's uh, all the news from inside the state capitol pretty much this week, although the effects of something they passed earlier in the year are still resonating with a lot of schools throughout the state. Uh, school year is drawing to a close, of course, for, for most people in Arkansas, but schools are trying to get ready, particularly places of higher education, on how to address a new concealed carry law in the state, opening up uh, guns on campus to most campuses anyway. Daniel Breen, one of our, our fantastic intern just did a story on this this week that you can check out at KUAR.org. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, the University of Arkansas system, the largest higher education system in the state, is currently preparing its plan for the implementation of the state's new concealed carry law. Tell us a little bit about uh, how they're trying to prepare for this. Well, it is interesting because they do have a lot of time to prepare. It's actually not 
going to be implemented on the start date because the Arkansas State Police has 120 days after the September 1st start date uh-huh. to uh, iron out the rules and considerations about what you will have to do to actually conceal carry on a campus. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, um, many campuses across the state are considering being exempt from the campus carry legislation and from prohibiting guns on campus. Right. And it's important to remember that in the debate leading up to this, and for the past several years, each school has had the option to opt into this program. And every single board of trustees across the entire state have said they don't want to participate in this program. State lawmakers said, too bad, you've got to. Your students, your faculty have the right to carry firearms, even if the board of trustees doesn't think that they do. Uh, so, Daniels, universities are preparing this plan. What are some of the issues they have to come up with? You mentioned the state police has to review this. They have to have a plan that meets some sort of standard. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, as you said, it is more of an opt-out thing. It's basically um, basically it's a law now. It has been passed by the House and the Senate and signed into law by the governor. So yeah. campuses do have to uh, have higher security measures put into place to prevent illegally uh, concealed weapons from entering the campuses now. And is this primarily UAMS? Is it because it's a hospital? Is that a key reason why they are opposed to this? Right. Well, UAMS wants to uh, prohibit concealed carry from their patient care areas, in patient care areas in particular. Um, yes, basically because they are a hospital. But they also want to prohibit them from the teaching areas because they feel that uh, it will interfere with the kind of the safe area that they've cultivated. So UMS clearly like a unique example for most of the state's institutions for higher education. Are there any issues that they've come up with this with actually trying to get ready for this? Right. Well, UAMS doesn't, it does have its own police force, but the security measures that would be necessitated by the security plan that they must submit to the Arkansas State Police would be uh, above and beyond what they have right now. It would uh, require more police officers, more armed security officers, um, as well as higher security measures at points of entry to UIMS, like metal detectors. And uh, you spoke with somebody in regards to that point, correct? Right. Uh, Chancellor Dan Ron is the chancellor of UIMS, and he did tell me about uh, his concerns for the new campus carry legislation. Let's take a listen. UIMS's budget is severely, severely challenged. The state appropriation is a tiny fraction of our overall budget. So any new costs that we incur without additional revenue place additional strain on our ability to provide our primary missions in education, research, and and patient care. Yeah, and so though he is reticent to be exempt from it, he will comply. He did tell me that he would comply with the new legislation and all of the stipulations to be exempt from it. I hear he's retiring. I guess it's just a coincidence that it has to do with... (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Uh, but also interesting, too, you spoke with uh, ESTEM, which uh, is the charter school, uh, several campuses, and they're building a campus here uh, on the uh, University of Arkansas Little Rock campus to be kind of integrated with the college. And uh, uh, weapons are not allowed in K through 12, but they're wanting an exemption because, yes, they're on a college campus, but they're uh, uh, serving high school students, uh, a real uh, unusual situation with there. Uh, how, how are they approaching this? Right, exactly. Well, as it is right now, ESTEM's main campus is downtown in downtown Little Rock. And uh, like you said, and like uh, Dr. John Bacon, the principal and CEO of ESTEM said, uh, there's a federal law prohibiting uh, concealed carry or any handguns 
mm-hmm. on K through 12 campuses. So uh, currently they're building a new high school campus on the south end of the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. And uh, Bacon's concerns mainly were that um, they will be using other locations on the campus of University of Arkansas at Little Rock. And so he uh, raised concerns that he wanted uh, concealed carry to be prohibited there as well, not just only on the new high school campus. Uh, any idea of when that, that kind of complaint will be resolved? Did he, John Bacon ever get an answer either way to his satisfaction? Right. Well, they still are working it out. Um, UALR does have to submit its security plan by the September 1st deadline. But uh, like I said, the state police has 120 days on, after the September 1st effective start date to really iron out all the concerns with individual campuses. And how far along are state police in their process of making the rules? Right. Well, I did speak to uh, Bill Sadler, the spokesperson for the Arkansas State Police, and he didn't really give me a a really good idea of where they are right now, but he did say that they would uh, have a good idea by the uh, mid-December after the uh, 120 days after the start date of the law. All right. Well, thanks, Daniel. Appreciate your report and look forward to several more, possibly, during the remaining of the internship. Let's hope so. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's end this with some uh, regular old-fashioned fluff. Why not? So Karen Trico-Stewart, who's sitting in the room but is probably won't comment on this, there's a recent uh, story in Google about favorite talk shows, late-night daytime talk shows in America based on state, and Arkansas's was Jerry Springer. <laughs> a lot of southern states <laughs> Jerry Springer. Um, it's kind of weird, though. I looked at it, and uh, Stephen Colbert, which I think – is the most popular late night show right now. I, mm-hmm. He only carried maybe one state. So it's not a state with the majority of people that like him, but more people like him overall. So it's I, own sort of electoral college of late night. <laughs> I didn't realize Jerry Springer was even still on the air. He uh, might not be. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize Jerry Springer was a talk show per se. It was more like a streaming show. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you guys ever watch any talk shows or screaming shows? Not a lot of daytime TV. Yeah, me neither. I do like Jerry Springer. I like Maury as well. It's kind of a toned down version of it. Um, it's not really a talk show, but I am a big supporter of Judge Judy and whatever, mm-hmm. everything she does. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to another edition of KUAR's Week in Review podcast. Every week we take a look back at the biggest news in the state and give us a little review. You can check it out anywhere you subscribe to podcasts and iTunes, KUAR.org. We are broadcasting from the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, though we are editorially independent of our license holder. Thanks a lot for listening. I'm Jacob Kaufman. I'm Michael Hiplin. And I'm Daniel Breen.